Hello and welcome to Listen Closely with John and Chris. I am Chris out here in Washington State on the West Coast. With me as always is my pal of 36 years, John, back on the East Coast. John, how are you? I'm great. 36 years. Wow. So I was like, what, negative four when we first met? <laughs> this is... You were never particularly good at math. Uh, no, no, you're absolutely right. <laughs> it's a good thing they don't have me counting those uh, those ballots right now. <laughs> it would last it even longer. <laughs> um, you know, I was remembering one of our first interactions. Do you remember this with with our old pal Chris Morrissey? Uh, I had joined Mrs. Craig's class in second grade. And uh, I remember I found your last name very, uh, very comical as a seven-year-old. Do you remember this? People find it comical in their 40s. So, yeah, I do remember this, actually. <laughs> and can we say your last name? Is that, are we trying to keep it secret? Yeah, that's fine. I don't care. I, think, uh, I, I just remember telling Chris, you know, we were in the back of the room and uh, huddled together and for some reason, some uh, Mrs. Craig was reading something. I don't know. And I said to him, hey, Chris, John DeBena, Dick Tiss, get it? <laughs> and you were standing right there. And I think that may have been our first interaction. You kind of looked over and were like, oh, ha, ha, real funny. Yeah, nothing like starting off on a good note like that. Right? I know, I know. Incidentally, I hated Mrs. Craig. You didn't like Mrs. Craig? Mrs. Craig was an evil bitch. Oh, wow. I liked Felicia. You liked Felicia, really? Yeah. Which, if, if any of Felicia Craig's offspring or, you know, descendants or whatever you want to call them are listening right now, I apologize, but she just, we never got along. Wow. Well, hopefully we're going to get along better during this episode because we've got a good one coming up here. We sure do. Do we ever? Um, you know, a few weeks ago, we did an album by, uh, by Radiohead, The Benz, which both you and I love, but one of the parts of that discussion was how at times Radiohead and, and music of the 90s could get into, um, you know, so sort of fraught with pain and despair that it kind of bogged down and, and gets a little boring in places. Not so much on that album, but other places. You are um, correct. The album that we're gonna to do today, coming from a decade before, is anything but that. It, this album is a lot of things to me. It's disturbing, it's hopeful, it's frenetic, theatrical, melodramatic. How about schizophrenic? Schizophrenic, but the one thing to me that it never is, is boring. Um, do you wanna do the honors? I think I do, actually. We are going back to October of 1983, to be exact, the 3rd of October. And the album is Genesis. The band is Genesis. <laughs> and how about that? Even though this was to be their 12th studio album, um, yeah, this was their eponymous album. And I think, Chris, it, it makes sense because in some regard, uh, this starts, th this album, in my opinion, 
symbolizes the start of the third chapter of Genesis. And I know what I just said sounds a little biblical, <laughs> but, but uh, would, would you agree? I think it's, a, it's sort of a dawn of a new era for Genesis. And that's probably why it was an eponymous title album. It, it does, I think it kind of, it's where they start to transition from that uh, art rock, prog rock into more of a pop rock, but with, with an edge. Um, you know, style. And I think it's also important to note, you know, part of the reason that they went eponymous on this one um, reportedly is that they, they all wrote this one together. You know, normally they, they would each come in with some songs and then, you know, kind of work on those collectively. Um, but this one, they all got together and sort of from the get-go, we're coming up with these from the ground up. Um, but yeah, I think this is, you know, after this, you're going to move on to things like Invisible Touch and... Uh, we Can't Dance. We Can't Dance. Yeah, it's, it's definitely, I think, a, another turning point for a band that has had a lot of them. It is. And what I really like about this album is that it showcases the band at really a crossroads in their career, I think. And I think... You know, we, we talked about this being the start of a new chapter, but I think there's elements of all different eras of Genesis evident on this album in the nine tracks. You have songs like Mama and Home by the Sea that are dark and progressive and could at times be reminiscent of the earlier Peter Gabriel era. Mm -hmm. And then you have uh, That's All and Just a Job to Do, which could easily have been on one of the early 80s arena rock sounding albums like Abacab. Mm -hmm. uh, but then you've got Taking It All Too Hard, great song. Uh, and that's kind of a precursor to Throwing It All Away, which was a big hit off of Invisible Touch. And it's also a precursor to some of what's on We Can't Dance. So I, that's one of the things I like a lot about this album is you kind of have that, that blend of all the different eras of Genesis, even though at this point they're only really like 12, 13 years into their their run um they were well established and i think it's just it's a great album and i think there's probably better genesis albums than this one there's more daring albums like the peter gabriel led era there's more groundbreaking albums more critically acclaimed but this one has always been my favorite start to finish the songs are damn good and it i just find the album to be very accessible without being too watered down or too soft rock sounding, like what you would have a couple of years later with uh, Invisible Touch. Yeah, it keeps it keeps that edge, uh, and it never, you know, it kind of at times I think wavers on parts that are cheesy that people might say are cheesy, but it never really fully falls into that. It it kind of keeps uh, a very fresh sound to it, I think, and it does it combines like you said, a, a bunch of different types of Genesis sounds, but I feel like it, it all works. You know, it doesn't, it feels schizophrenic, but in the way that's somehow cohesive, you know, it never to me feels like, where did this song come from? Um, You're right. And it's, it's funny because I'm looking at my notes here and I, I have that all the songs have that Genesis edge to them, which is exactly what you just said. So, you know, I guess 36 years of knowing someone, you can kind of uh, read their mind, but I think you're right. And, you know, 
it's amazing how the songs are a hodgepodge of different sounds, but mm-hmm. all of them have that unifying theme, I, I think, which is that Genesis edge. And it's that constantly evolving experimental sound that I think even as a trio at this point was important and kept these guys from being just another run of the mill, late seventies, early eighties arena rock band, like a foreigner or Kansas. But I think they also had this incredible ability to reinvent themselves and their sound ever so slightly crisp with each new album. Hmm. And I think that it allowed them to have a greater level, a much greater level of continued commercial success than some of the mellower progressive rock contemporaries that they had. So I say mellower because I'm not talking like hardcore progressive rock, like King Crimson or some of the early Yes stuff, but I'm talking about the more radio-friendly progressive rock, like Supertramp or Alan Parsons Project, great bands, but neither of those acts really had continued success. Whereas Genesis had this ability really from the late seventies into the early nineties to just crank out hits on every single album. Yeah. And I think they weren't afraid of that. You know, I think they weren't, um, you know, they weren't super heels dug in and we're not going to sell out quote unquote, um, you know, by writing more accessible hits. You know, I read something from, Mike Rutherford, um, guitarist and bassist for Genesis, who said, you know, we sort of, we got out a lot of our kind of idealistic stuff in our early years. Um, and so in the later years, you know, we, we, we felt fine about doing stuff that was, you know, not necessarily always kind of cutting edge and, um, you know, stuff that, that was a little more accessible um and commercial they we're having more fun i think yeah and that that's the thing you know at the beginning when i was saying that this album the one thing it never is is boring I, I think what i love about genesis is they they never take themselves too seriously you know i think they're they're very serious about their music but they never um you know they they can get a little ridiculous i mean you got a song on here like illegal alien which, uh, you know, is almost like, it's a, I mean, we'll get into it more. It's a very bizarre song, but it kind of exemplifies like these guys are, they're kind of wacky and fun. And I think they just let it all hang out. Let's talk for a, for a moment quickly about some of the absurdity of the songs on this album. And I say absurdity in a good way. Yeah. Because, yeah, they have this sense of humor that they, they let hang out. But you've got an illegal, you've got a legal alien. Now that's an interesting topic for a rock song. And I read a few contemporary reviews that have gone as far as to call the song offensive. Um, right. But you, you know, you have to give it to Mike Rutherford, who actually wrote the lyrics to the song. Uh, you have to give him some credit for being ahead of his time, because really, for the last four years, at least in this country, it has not been much fun being an illegal alien, right? <laughs> no, and that song is it's so interesting to me because it it has this sort of like happy go lucky sound to it, but the lyrics are, some of them are pretty dark. You know? um, She'll do anything to help me get to the outside. And he's referring to his sister. He's referring to his sister. Yeah. I mean, it's, so I, I, I think, 
you know, there was a lot of this in the 80s. You know, if you look at stuff like We Are the World and Band-Aid, where it's like white people trying to help uh, minorities, but kind of coming off in a way that just doesn't sound great. Um, but, well, you know, and, I think their heart was in the right place. You know, well, it was the '80s, of course. And, and speaking of strange topics for songs, I mean, what the fuck, man, Mama? Oh. Uh, I, I texted you earlier this week <laughs> when I was researching because I always thought Mama was just about a guy who had some serious issues with his mother, <laughs> um, and to the point like he was going to go full on Jim Gordon and bludgeon her to death. <laughs> But Mama, much to my surprise, is about a young man's trip to a Cuban whorehouse and his obsession with a Cuban prostitute. Um, and I was just, I sent this to you and I said, what the hell is going on here? This is really, really strange. And it's such a disturbing, eerie song. But you know, you, you look at it now and I think I realize why given the, the, the content and the topic of the song, I think I right, realized why it was a big hit in Europe, but not so much in the United States. And uh, mm. do you want to know why? Why? I think it has to do with the embargo. Oh, because really? you think? Americans can't relate to going to a Cuban horror house. <laughs> can you? <laughs> There's <laughs> but, a significant amount of Europeans who can, who can relate that, listen man (laughs) europeans can go to cuba it's a a vacation destination for them uh you know like in the fall of 83 there was some like german dude in bonn or something who picked up this (laughs) album when it came out and just cracked a smile when uh the needle hit the groove and he started listening to this you know he started reminiscing about a trip to a santa clara brothel in 74 (laughs) you know you know he probably hooked up with a 17-year-old student or something. It's, I'm just saying, Americans <laughs> with the embargo, we couldn't really go there. We still can't. Well, that might change soon. That's an interesting theory. You know, I think it was less likely to be like a 17-year-old student and more likely to be like a, you know, a 52-year-old, uh, you know, Cuban woman. I, the, the whole mama thing, you know, I, I think there's a lot of, didn't you say there's a lot of Oedipal stuff going on in there? There is, but yeah. Yeah, I guess yeah, I yeah. guess you're right. But I, I I like your theory. I like it. Um, I think that song, as as though it's not enough to to have a song about that, to start the album off with that, right? <laughs> is is just I love it. I mean, it's so over the top, um, and then to follow it with "That's All," which is this sort of you know very piano pop you know bum, 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 bum. It, the transition there is amazing to me it just it's like it punches you in the face and then you have no idea what just happened again schizophrenic album yeah yeah and if you look at you know if you look at the singles from this i mean mama that's all home by the sea illegal alien and taking it all too hard five songs that all had various degrees of success, whether in England or in the US, um, to different, different degrees for some of those songs, but, um, you know, so, such different sounds in those five songs. Very, very much so. 
Um, and go on. Go on. No, please. No, I was just going to ask you, uh, what what the critics think of this one? Well, it was kind of all over the map, really. Uh, Rolling Stone magazine gave it two out of five stars, Ouch. which they are. Well, they were typically hard on Genesis and progressive rock in general. Uh, progressive rock doesn't always wow critics, despite the virtuosity, if you will, of the musicianship. Um, but uh, Sounds, which was a well-known British weekly rock magazine back then, uh, called the album an at times frustrating cocktail. Uh, but in another British weekly rock publication called Kerrang, they praised the album for its stunning simplicity and said it was a Genesis album for people who normally hated Genesis hmm. uh, and that it's great music for the masses. And I think they're absolutely right. And perhaps the, uh, the best quote or review I could find of this comes from Mike Rutherford hmm. from, of course, the band Genesis who says it's one of his favorite Genesis albums. Wow, okay. That's great. Well, I guess we're on the same page as Mike then. Uh, listen, I think we are. <laughs> um, and with that, I think let's move on to some of the song picks here. Let's do this. So, as much as we both like this song, there's always a low point or a nadir. Um, John, what's your nadir for Genesis? Man, was this difficult because I genuinely do like each and every song on this album in some way, shape, or form. And speaking of shapes, I was actually going to choose the album cover and artwork as my nadir because I think it's terrible and tacky. <laughs> I mean, what the hell is going on with all that? But whatever. Yeah. Um, it's like, uh, it's from like some sort of game, I think. Like a, uh, a board game or a, I don't maybe. know. Maybe. Yeah. In the end, though, I felt it appropriate to try to choose a song uh, as, as an Adira. The one I went with is actually Silver Rainbow. Uh, not an entirely bad song, but I never enjoyed it quite as much as the rest. As the rest all throughout my years of listening to this album. And I've been listening to this album for many, many years. So listening to the album a lot over the last week to prep for this episode, I really went into it keeping an open mind saying, you know, I think I'm really going to embrace Silver Rainbow because Chris, am I right? You've had this happen with, with some of the other albums we've reviewed that there was a song you might not have liked, but then it kind of spoke to you listening sure. to it this time around. Um, but that did not happen. I, uh, I still don't really care for Silver Rainbow. And I think the issue with the song is unlike the rest of the album, I think it sounds very dated. Mm. And that is my Nadir. Yeah. Well, this is a little disappointing for me because, uh, lately we've had, you know, we've had a few blow ups and, uh, those are fun, but I, I'm on the same exact page as you this time. Um, I too found it really difficult because there's just no song that I don't like on this to, to some degree. Mm -hmm. um, and for me, it came down to Silver Rainbow. Um, 
and I was also I considered Second Home by the Sea, which I did is, too. Uh, sort of a continuation of Home by the Sea. Uh, it's mostly instrumental. Um, it's kind of indulgent, and uh, but there's something about it to me that just seems perfect for Genesis to have that kind of song, you know, to, to have a to have a song and then to have a follow-up second part to that song that's like a five-minute instrumental um, sort of chaotic sound. So I, I went with Silver Rainbow too. I think it, I think it's fine. I think, you know, I, if I'm listening to this album, I'll listen to Silver Rainbow. I don't skip over it, but there is something, there's something that sounds like very like, theatrical almost like broadway-esque like i could see this song in like starlight express or something in the 80s god remember um, that show isn't that the one where they were all on roller skates it was yeah yeah oh, so I, I think this wow. is this is where it yeah something about it is dated and kind of kind of crosses the line into being a little cheesy um, absolutely so yeah not my favorite um but i have to say of all the albums we've done, and we've done now, God, 20, 25 albums, um, this might have been the toughest one for me to pick a Nadir on. I, I just think they're all very solid songs. I, I would say not only was it the toughest to pick Nadir, it was the most difficult one for me to pick a Sleeper and my Zenith. Oh, you know what we call that? We call that a segue. Um, yes, we're going to segue right into what. Yeah, that's looking. really nice what your sleeper song is. Well, see, this is the thing. And I'm not, I wasn't saying that simply for the fact of providing you with a perfect segue, although I did. But there are few sleepers on this album. I say that because mm. really, first of all, there's only nine songs on the album. Right. And more than half of them received or have received significant airplay over the years. Yep. Mama, that's all home by the sea, illegal alien, taking it all too hard. And uh, even just a job to do, uh, you would hear on classic rock radio. So that doesn't exactly leave us a lot to play with, now does it? Does um, I decided, though, to go with a song that I've always enjoyed uh, that maybe you don't hear quite as much as the rest. And that's the last track. It's going to get better. Um, it's simple. It's catchy. It shows just how, as I said earlier, schizophrenic this album can be at times. When you have Mama as the leadoff track, which is dark and depraved, and, and then you have this, which is somewhat uplifting, and, and I think ends the album on a rather positive note. Uh, I think it works. And the last minute and a half of the song, because it has this kind of slow build that almost seems to no, go nowhere for the first couple minutes, and then you get to the last 90 seconds and it's just infectious, catchy, pop rock brilliant. Um, and that's, you know, what gets back to what I was saying earlier, which was one of the keys to the staying power of the band. Absolutely. Um, could not agree more. I, I think to me, this is, it's a classic sleeper um, be, because it's not one that is extremely well known. It's not one that I have often gone back to, um, you know, and sought out just to listen to that song individually. Uh, but listening to the album over the past week or two, that one really jumped out. It's, 
it's a beautiful song. Um, and and I, what I love about it, and the reason that I also picked it as my sleeper. Holy shit. Yeah. Two for two. Yeah, right? Um, is what you said. It, it, it has this um, sort of bouncy first half to it. Um, and then it kind of morphs maybe two thirds of the way through into this more earnest sounding ballad. And, you know, Phil, I think has a really nice vocal with the falsetto, um, beautiful, hopeful ending. And I think, you know, Tony Banks, what he's doing with the, uh, electric piano, I think it's electric piano on this song. Um, you know, apparently he was trying to to kind of capture using the keyboard uh, a cello-like sound. And he was having trouble doing it, but it, it resulted in, in that sort of strange, distorted, stringy type sound that opens the song and closes it. And I think it just, it has this really cool kind of mystical effect to it. I, I think it's beautiful. It really is. I think it's an incredibly beautiful song, a real underrated gem of a song and you're right the true definition of a of a sleeper song yeah and i you know to me this album it's really interesting how they open it and how they close it because you start with mama which is so over the right. top and deep and dark and you know lusty and then you end with this beautiful hopeful ballad I, there's something really interesting to that juxtaposition i think i would have to agree um, now, man, I, you know, I'm not sure where you're going to go on the, on the Zenith, but, uh, hoping we, hoping we don't go three for three here in terms of. I don't think we will. I would be surprised if we did. Um, what, uh, what do you got? What's your high point on the album? Oh man, this was a difficult, difficult choice because, okay. Do you go with your head? Do you go with your heart? You know, mm. taking it all too hard is a sentimental favorite that I've always loved on this album. Um, That's All, which is probably the most popular and enduring song on the album, mm-hmm. is, is one that I've always also loved. Uh, Illegal Alien, <laughs> so entertaining. Yeah. It never fails to amuse me, and I just think it's a great song. But in the end, I, I went with the song that I think best represents the band and all that they were about. And I mentioned earlier how this album sort of captures the band at this perfect crossroads and uh that's why for me the zenith of the album is home by the sea wow i um it has that progressive rock sound and structure i guess you could say of early genesis uh the, the peter gabriel era stuff but then once you get to the refrain it's so catchy it's accessible it's it's infectious that that repetitive sit down sit down as we relive our lives and what we tell you um and that's more indicative of of the phil collins led genesis which is more melodic uh and i think tony banks keyboards in it are fantastic so really would i say this is my absolute favorite song on the album no though i do really like it but i think it's the zenith of the album i really do it's a great song. It is a great song. And uh, yeah, I think it's a great example of, of a song that has this kind of, 
it has a pop base to it, but it has this still has this edge to it that the Genesis edge. Exactly. Uh, you know, it's a little creepy. I mean, I think it's. I didn't realize this, but I guess this song is actually about uh, a burglar who breaks into a house and is confronted by the by ghost, ghost. <laughs> yeah. who, who retell their their stories. Um, and so it has this this kind of weird natural uh, effect to it. Um, but yeah, it's a it's a great song. This one never gets old for me. And what's amazing too is if you like, let's say you pick up this album in 1983. You know, you're you're that guy in Bonn, Germany, who uh, maybe visited the brothel in Cuba. Sure. And you you've never heard the tracks. And you're like, oh, there's a song called "Home by the Sea." It's probably this beautiful, tranquil, romantic ballad. Um, you know, right. when you think of a home by the sea, it conjures up this this image of just tranquility and serenity and sunsets. And this is anything but that. Yeah, no, totally, totally. It has it. I, I I agree with you that it sort of has a little bit of everything. It's like the song that that represents this album because, as we said, this album has a lot of different types of songs, and this song kind of has all of it. It has this beautiful melodic part to it, but it also has this kind of disturbing edge to it. It does. Yeah. But now I'm really curious. Then, what did you choose as your zenith, Christopher? This was tough too. I went back and forth a little bit and I, you know, I think to me it came down to, there were three or four in the running. Uh, Mama, um, Taking It All Too Hard, Home by the Sea, I definitely considered. Um, in the end though, I came back to the one that's always been my favorite on this. I know where you're going. With which is Taking It All Too Hard. Yes. Um, it's such a beautiful song and it's it's so quiet in its brilliance that I think you can almost overlook it because some of the other songs like Mama, um, like Home by the Sea are a little more, have some more edge to them and are more in your face, but taking it all too hard is just beautiful. Um, and to me, what really stood out to me this time that I think put it over the top are the backing vocals from Rutherford and Banks. Um, is it Rutherford and Banks or is it a Phil Collins overdub? That's what I was wondering. Oh, you know, you might be right. I'm not sure. I know, I know the album credits Rutherford and Banks for, you know, overall for them doing backing vocals, but you might be right. It could be Phil. It does sound like it. could him. be all three of them. Yeah. But that, those, those, little, those little backing vocals in there, they really or the overdubs, um, they just give another like layer of texture to this thing. And it's, lyrically, I think it's beautiful. Um, you know, if you look towards the end, now that it's dark, all of your fears like shadows creeping around, you're much too scared to look down and it's lonely out on your own. The old days are gone and they're better left alone, but I still miss you. I keep it to myself. Um, you know, it's, it's sad and heartbreaking, but also hopeful. And I, I think it's probably the best Genesis ballad, even Ooh. though it's more of a mid-tempo ballad. Yeah. Um, you know, if you're putting this up against "In Too Deep" off of "Invisible Touch" or "Hold On My Heart" off of the "We Can't Dance" album, 
this to me is clearly the victor. Um, you know, I think it's, it's got everything you said. I think the production's terrific. I love the backing vocals. But it's not just a sappy, watery ballad that sounds like something that should have been on a Phil Collins solo album. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, no, it's got that, that bounce to it. And I think part of that is, um, I think part of that is the backing vocals or the overdubs. And part of it is Collins on the drums kind of giving it a bit of tempo. Um, I would agree. Yeah. But it's, uh, it's a beautiful song. And I, you know, the, the first time when I went back and listened to this album over the past week or two, I thought, I think I'm going to go in a different direction. Um, but then when I put it on again, um, man, it just got me. I, I think Collins also has a really great, just very tight kind of impassioned uh, vocal on that one too that drives it home. His vocals are incredible. That's, that's my favorite song on the album. Yeah, uh, and I almost went with that as a zenith. But again, I wanted to go in a somewhat different direction. I think I wanted to go with what I felt was was the best indicator or the best example of where the band was at at that that era or that time. Yeah. But yeah, man, taking it all too all too hard is a great song. It's also not one that's overplayed. You don't hear it much, so you never really got too tired of it. Exactly. Exactly. Um. Well, for you personally. Uh, you know, this album came out when we were six years old. Um, mm -hmm. Obviously, we've been listening to it for a long time. Any personal memories stand out or, you know, interweavings with pop culture? I remember clear as day watching MTV, as I did quite often as a six, seven-year-old. Mm -hmm. uh, at this point, I was probably seven. And the music video for Illegal Alien was in heavy rotation. <laughs> for a while and I absolutely loved that video I mean I would be glued to the television when that came on uh, and even then as like a seven year old because I think it was probably released that was one of the later singles released off the album so let's say it was mid-1984 um, I remember thinking there was something not quite right and something a little wrong about the video and you watch it now and Forget the fact that it's not politically correct, because uh, it's so not. Um, but it's also just like a very grainy quality to it, yeah. which I think was probably intentional. And uh, seeing Phil Collins, who was such a recognizable figure in 1983 or 1984, seeing him dressed up as a Mexican, <laughs> you know, with like the, the mustache and the, the weird outfit. And I, if I'm not mistaken, he's like, carrying maracas at one point. It's all the stereotypical things you would expect. Yeah. Uh, it just made me laugh hysterically uh, as a seven-year-old. And all these years later, it still does. Yeah. No, I think I can remember watching that video with you when we were like seven years old and just, uh, you know, kind of not fully, I mean, we certainly didn't understand all the implications. We were just kids and it was, it was silly, but you just knew that there was something different about this. That was like, this is not something that any other group would do. This is so strange. And yet uh, it was a hit. Yeah, yeah. Now, uh, how about for you? Um, well, for me, a, a little bit of it comes back to Mama. You know, I think that song, oh, uh, and talk about the video, you know, that's one where, 
fills in this sort of like warehouse bar um and when he does that laugh <laughs> yeah the, um you know his face is sort of like sort of like a close-up on his face and this bright red light uh and it's i just remember being so disturbed by it um and incidentally i read that 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 laugh that little cackle in there uh he based it on grandmaster flash uh, in the song, what was his big song? The one that Ice Cube sampled. Um, uh, Not uh, White Lines? or uh, No, it was... Um, Don't shoot. Believe the Hype? No. Um, oh, The Message. The Message. Okay. Um, but if you listen to that song, I mean, in that song, Grandmaster Flash gives... It's more like a chuckle. It's kind of like... <laughs> when Phil does it, it's just insanely disturbing and he also adds on like this little sort of like groan or this moan yeah. ah. i just remember as a kid being really disturbed not even as a kid as like a teenager too being like i like this song but i i am so disturbed by what phil's doing here um very disturbing yeah but you know i i appreciate it now um yeah what um how do you think this this album does it reflect the zeitgeist of 1983? Somewhat, but not all that much. It's hard to say, and I think the um, it had a lot going against it. But I'll, let me let me say this much: this album was anywhere and everywhere in 1984. Uh, because keep in mind, this came out at the very end of 19, well, October of '83. So by the time it really was hitting its stride in the charts, let's say it was. It was early 84. Um, my brother's prom theme, it was his senior prom in 1984. Uh, the prom theme was Home by the Sea. Oh. But the only thing that I think of, I, I get it as a theme, like you decorate the wherever it is, you know, in, in nautical <laughs> references. But how the hell do you dance <laughs> Home by the Sea? Yeah. No. And do they play the second part of it? Um, <laughs> the six-minute instrumental. <laughs> right. But in terms of capturing the cultural zeitgeist, it, it could have. But I think it was overshadowed by other albums that came out around that same time or a few months later. And, and we're talking about, this is 1984. So you've got Born in the USA, Purple Rain, Van Halen's 1984. Uh, this album, though I like it better than all those others I just mentioned, I don't think it stood a chance. And I think those more so are what people think of when it comes to the cultural zeitgeist of that era, uh, which is why this one, maybe not so much, unfortunately. But what say you? Yeah, I, I think generally I agree. I mean, I, I'd say a little more than, than maybe what you're saying. I, I think it does... To me, this is like on the border, you know, the, what we think of as the 80s and 80s music, I think often the core of that is really starts in 84, um, you know, 85, 86, 87. And so this is like coming out right before all of that kind of sound really kicks. And, you know, I do think in some ways it's like a bit of a bridge between 70s and, and what, 
most people think of as 80s music. Um, but Genesis, you know, they have their own kind of distinct sound, so it's not super indicative um, of the broader climate. But I think there's elements of it, you know, in a song like Taking It All Too Hard or, um, you know, it's funny, like that's all to me has a much more 70s singer songwriter. Mm -hmm. Um, so th there is a hodgepodge of stuff on here. So I think it's kind of hit or miss. Um, what do you think? Do you think that this is a perfect album? I struggle with this one. Um, no, I don't. I, I find that it's a little too schizophrenic. And I know maybe that's the whole point, but perfect albums usually have this kind of unifying, this, this concrete theme. Um, like Akshung Baby or Hotel California. Um, this is a near perfect collection of songs, but I don't know that it's a perfect album. Mm. How about you? I, I disagree. I'm going to go with yes. I, I agree that it, it is schizophrenic um, and that on paper it, it shouldn't work. I mean, the, an album that has Illegal Alien, Mama, That's All, and taking it, all too hard it just shouldn't it shouldn't work but to me somehow it just does um and i think it's an album you can put on and 45 minutes later it'll be over and you won't have pushed skip once um and and to me that's that's pretty close to perfection yeah well, I think regardless, it's a fantastic album. And if anybody has somehow missed some of these songs, which I think is possible, you know, I, I think you probably haven't missed That's All, but people might not be familiar with Mama or Home by the Sea. Um, right, or It's Gonna Get Better or Just a Job to Do, and also an excellent song. Yeah, uh, yeah. So, you know, definitely check it out. It's, uh, it's, it's such a unique sound. And I think in, in some ways, it can be a little dated, but I, I think it still works today in 2020. I think it shows the versatility and the talent of Genesis as a band and as a sort of gathering of these, these different creative minds and creative sounds. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you had Phil Collins bringing that pop sensibility. And I think, uh, you know, Tony Banks and Mike Rutherford maybe kept it a little more progressive. Mm -hmm. It works. It works really well. For sure, for sure. Um, all right, well, uh, give it a listen and you can check us, check us out on Twitter at Podcast Closely or on Instagram at listenclosely.podcast. Let us know what you think. Let us know any other albums that you are itching for us to talk about. Um, we'll be back next week. John, as always, it's been a pleasure. And it's just going to get better. It's, things can only get better, yeah. That's right. Take care. Be well.